Hey, good evening, folks. My name is Travis with Oscar Mike Radio. This is episode 76. That's right, 76. And uh, my first guest on the year um, is going to talk about power breathing. His name is John Bennett, uh, native. And John, welcome to the show. Uh, good to have you. Thank you for having me. So, so John, before we d- dig into this, um, what did you do in the Navy? How long did you um, I started off actually in the Army in the early commissioning program. They wouldn't commission me, so then I jumped ship over to the Navy, went enlisted in aviation, undesignated. So my third week of boot camp, I got orders to Atsugi, Japan for VFA-195. So that was my first, um, you know, what was it, two months after boot camp. That's where I was for three years. And then um, during that time, obviously, we had 9-11. And then that's also where I changed positions. Um, in the Navy, if people don't know, you can come in aviation, surface, or ordnance mint undesignated. So E1 through E3, you can just stumble around because you're basically just being told what to do in those departments. And then once you go up for E4, you find a job in your department, and then you strike for it. If you pass the exam, then that's your new rate. Then they send you to school. So that's what I did when I was in Japan, and then I switched over to Intel. In like, yeah. So... How long were you in the Navy then? Um, eight years, eight just years. under eight years. Yeah. Okay. So then I came back. I came back stateside, and then I was stationed out of California on the USS Tarawa, and then Third Fleet, and then they processed me out on a med board. So, so that that is extremely different from the Marine Corps experience, uh, where you're yeah. told what you're going to do, and that's what you're going to do, and oh, you wanted something else. That's just too bad. So uh, that uh, is. The Navy. That's one of the biggest ways they get people into the Navy. It's like it'll give you a couple of years to sort of figure out what job you think you might like to do. What? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, Remember, E1s are a dime a dozen, so they don't really have to have any focus. That, that is a stark contrast to what I experienced. How did you like Japan? How did you like being overseas? Uh, like I tell people, um, you will find out it takes about six months to fully determine whether you like the country, and there's zero gray. Either you love it or you hate it, and you'll never leave the base, and you're just counting down the days till you go to stateside. Luckily for me, that wasn't me. So you know, I figured it out. Yeah, then I was just never on base. <laughs> I, I've had uh, Marine guys stationed in Okinawa say uh, a couple of things happens to you. You get, you become a raging alcoholic, you become a, a PT, a fitness uh, freak, or you, you slowly go crazy. Uh, there's only so many times you can go scuba diving, um, you're like, there's a reason that like, there's problems out in town because there's just nothing to do, nowhere to go. The yeah. emails are limited but, over there. That's Okinawa. Yeah. I was literally 30 minutes from Tokyo. Okay, well. Um, so I was like, yeah, it was it was not, yeah, it was very busy. <laughs> that must have been, well, that's been cool because there's not that many uh, Americans in there, so they really look at you guys differently from what I understand. Yeah, no, you do. I mean, you stick out because, remember, I'm like six foot four. <laughs> Blonde-haired German guy, so yeah, you know, it's just, you're always looking down, always. <laughs> that and like the subways and and the, and, and the furniture and, and everything's designed for smaller people, and they don't make yeah, any they don't. accommodations for guys your size. So uh, no, they don't. Yeah. But it, it, you're right. I, I, from what I've heard, it's either love it or hate it, and yeah, there's no in between. So. You're in the Navy for eight years. You do a, a couple different things. Were you ever on a ship? Did you ever spend any time on a ship, on the USS yeah. Tarawa or any other ship? Also, when I the squadron, 
the squadron was separate from the base, but we were attached to the USS Kitty Hawk. Okay. So I was on that carrier for the first three years. And then I came back, went to school, then USS Tarawa. That was for the entire invasion of Iraq in 03. And then in 05, I went to third fleet shore duty, and then I processed out in 06. Gotcha. Yeah. How'd you like being on a ship? I actually prefer it. I hate shore duty. So, <laughs> yeah. No, I really like to be underway. So, yeah, I'm one of those weird sailors. Well, I've run a couple of guys like you who, I mean, my grandfather served in the Navy, and he was the same way. He, he's like, there's too much temptation on shore leave. There's too much money being spent. And, you know, he, he was best when he was on the ship doing his job, even though they were worried about German U-boats back then and stuff like that. Right. So, uh, no, you, you it's, know. It, it, it is definitely a simpler way of life because everything, if you, like me, you're single, Everything back in California, like my apartment car, everything was just in pause. Yeah. So you could just go out and then focus doing work and job and then come back and be like, okay, let's pick this back up. Nice. Yeah. So you, you separated uh, medically, which, you know, I have done. And yep. um, I, I had six months to go and had to get out. There's no way around it. Um, did you feel like the Navy and the military treated you well around that? I mean, there's, there's so many different stories, like the guys talking about last week, who um, Peter Mims on the USS Shiloh, who went, because that was a story with the guy who hid in the, in, in the East Destroyer for a week, and they couldn't find right. him, right? Right. Big, huge deal. Everybody thought he was a, you know, a classic shipbird, so on and so forth. No, there's so many failures before that whole escapade that people should have caught, no. I don't believe that. <laughs> well, no, I mean, you know, I, I, somebody's like, why are you doing this? I said, because he, he's on record of going to his senior NCOs and his captain right. to get help. Exactly. Well, you know, captain, I said, no, the captain, the captain wears that title to take care of his men. Yeah, he has a ship to maintain, he has this to go on, but at the end of the day, one of his most important things to do is take care of his men, and, and, and the captain is on record of blowing them off. Right. And you're true. I mean, even though this individual, whatever their rank might be, you're responsible for everybody. But if one person needs just a little extra whatever, then that's what you have to do. It's sort of a family underway. So I'm like, the story wasn't as cut and dry as some people made it out to be. So it was very, no. very, very interesting that way. Yeah. Um, so when you, when you medically separated, did you feel like the Navy and the VA gave you a fair shake? How was your experience around that? Um, I got out in uh, MCRD, the Marine Corps Recruit Depot out of San Diego, and, and I know Navy-wide people anywhere in the Navy, they fly there if they're overseas, because when I was going through my med board in 06, this program had been running at MCRD for people being processed out, and it had been a trial program for over 15 years. Welcome to the federal government. And so basically the whole gist of it is, is if you processed out with this group and you went through the med board class, you got your rating within 21 days. Oh, wow. And so, what? yeah, like, yeah, so I got my rating literally 21 days later and everything, you know, and because my original disability was at 80%, then they immediately bring you in for like voc rehab. They start the process and they sort of just keep throwing like forms and papers at you. And then as you start to like sift through it all, you pick out what you need and you use then ever since then it's been smooth sailing. Don't get me wrong. Some of the medical stuff gets to be a little mundane, but I haven't had a, a bad shake with the VA since I got out. I mean, that's cool because it, it wasn't always that way. So, well, the other, 
to, to be fair and safe, I do have two sports medicine degrees and a master's in healthcare, so I can work the system. Now, now wait a minute. How, how, how did you – did you get that before you went to the Navy or afterwards? No, I did that all through GI Bill and Voc Rehab. So, so you're like a, a, a real overachiever, not one of those guys who gets his VA bill and never does anything with it. You really made it work. Oh, no. I even got three – yeah, with Voc Rehab, I got three extensions just because they knew and they believe in what I was doing, so – it's pretty good, yeah. So when you talk about medicine and you talk about uh, things like we're getting ready to talk about here, you really not only have um, the, the personal experience, but you also can look at it from a true medical scientific standpoint. Yeah, I think it's because just my scientific background, I mean, you pick up the little things through all the biology and chemistry and physics and you just sort of start seeing everything as more than just, it's not one pill, not one one idea or one concept that actually helps heal you. It's just a combination of things that you identify with that you pull from maybe hundreds of different areas. Do you know what I mean? Right. Meditation and this kind of stuff. That's what for me sort of allows me to like, I sort of picture it as, as I jump up into my filing cabinet and start organizing. So I'm, I'm on the, um, the Reverend Warriors Boston yeah. uh, Facebook page, which what that got going about a year ago, I think is when I first tripped over it. And yep. uh, I, I watched the Silky's hike. I almost did that, but I got some scheduling stuff and some other things going on. Started talking to Tony Gale and a couple, couple people on there. Yeah. And I saw this, uh, this, this bulletin about uh, power breathing and meditation put on by Project Welcome Home Troops. And it said to reach out to you if you had any questions about it. And, I'm, and, and to go back to your point about having many things in your flying cabinet to draw from, yeah. I was I was instantly interested because um, of experiences I've had, you know, with my brothers and sisters. There's a real desire to have people get some tools to handle certain things, and if I'm right, this is all about using breathing and air exchange to get you to a calmer, less anxious mental state. So. I'm kind of curious yep. how you got involved with all that and what do you think about your experience with it? Um, like when I was in the military and then also when I was in Asia, I just started dabbling, you know, just in different things because, you know, I, I came from the Midwest as a Baptist from Michigan. So Asia is Asia's really, really different when you're 19, if you get what I'm saying. Yes. <laughs> you can't read it. You can't write the language. You can't communicate. So you just start to actually discover what, you think is important in life and you know obviously you swing to different extremes on the pendulum but then everything files down but um that's sort of what kicked it in for me i knew right away that okay there is a little bit of validity and stuff that's a little more alternative or natural like massage work yoga stretching just going to nature and going for a hike for two hours you know just really really simple things so then um i was having some big issues while I was at my fellowship last year with the VA I had to have a foot surgery and I was getting a little bummed out cause I was like, you know, just got off folk rehab, finally got this job. So I saw through work at the VA, they were advertising this documentary at MIT. I went to MIT and that documentary was almost sunrise. So Tom Voss is the guy that organized it and actually started to bring light to this whole concept more on the national scale for project welcome home. Cause project welcome home has been around for a while, but, um, this documentary is what brought fire to it. So I went to MIT, saw it there. There was another veteran that you could just see that he'd really, really worked very, very hard on his issues, but he was still, you know, trying to discover. 
So I uh, spoke with one of the instructors, and then I just created the first class. I, I spoke with the director at the hospital. He said, yeah, you know, just when do you want to do it? And I said, after working hours, and they're like, not a problem. You know, normally you can't get a conference room unless it's, you know, after hours. And I was like, that's fine. So we did the first class, and then that's the first time I went into something this deep that uses, like, a little bit of yoga, mindful meditation, and then obviously the breathing to help and assist you in your meditation. And I mean, ever since then, it's just been history. Let's keep doing it. So, you know, we breathe. We're breathing right now. We don't even think about it. What 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 makes what? this different than, say, just sitting there taking some deep breaths? What's the idea or, or the goal, if you will? Well, like, okay, so answer me this: How when you are doing rapid breathing, you're like, <laughs> when are you normally doing that? When I'm either stressed or you know physical stress or exercising or, you know, trying to, to run, well, trying to run. Right. Right. The other thing that you didn't mention though is crying. You're at the same level of breathing. So if you understand and you start to identify the different speeds and the reasons why your body is breathing, then you now are able to use one of the tools they might give you and then start to bring your breathing rate down. And this is how it starts to, you know, affect severe anxiety or people with PTSD. A lot of the times, like especially with PTSD, you're not going to be able to get rid of that memory. It's just a part of who you are. But the issue with PTSD is trying to get back to baseline zero as fast as possible. That's ultimately the goal, just to calm down, let everything just subside, sort of, you know, okay, I'm not there. Life is back here. Let's focus on the good things and then, you know, move on. That's how the power of breath, because once you start to understand the different types of breathing, when you do them and why you do them, then you can start to just use literally natural breathing to calm down. Well, one of the things that you, we had talked before we did this uh, podcast was was the uh, one one nostril breathing technique. Yeah, and I did look it up on YouTube and tried it out, and I, I'm gonna have to try it again to get understand what I'm doing. But it was amazing watching these people get to that uh, baseline zero, as you said. Uh, right. Well, and, see in the. The other thing, like with that um, rotating nostril or, you know, in one side, out the whole other side and down, um, you have to also understand as to how you're breathing in through your nose. It's not just a regular breath in. So then you're trying to pull it all the way from your diaphragm, like from your belly button up through you. So there's, yeah, there's a lot of different like learning and sort of visual things you'll do with your brain while you're doing the breath that actually helps calm as well. So... I'm looking at this. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about Project Welcome Home Troops? You said they've been around for a while. And, and... Yeah, they, they're the ones, obviously, they go around and they're just, you know, if it's a veterans group, they have instructors on all the different, you know, East Coast, West Coast. And if you get a class of about 10, this is about the smallest, but they prefer up to closer to the teens or 20s, then if you reach out to them and you have the facility and stuff situated, then they will fly instructors out and teach this group of veterans for free as long as someone has a space. So that's sort of been their mission. And then they actually have an institute. It's called the Art of Living Institute in Boone, North Carolina. And they that was actually founded by Sri Sri. I don't have his full name, but he's the guru um, that helped create the Power Breath Meditation. And um, they've just, you know, they saw that this form of meditation, its benefits in the last, you know, maybe five to ten years, how it's been helping veterans. And that's why they created 
you know, this Project Welcome Home troops, and they're just trying to bring this mindfulness, you know, body resilience training program to veterans as, you know, so they can add one more thing to their tool belt. So how long have you been doing this type of breathing and discipline? Um, when did you get started with this? Was it recently or a couple of years now? Um, it was just recently. It was this past year. I went to my first class when I organized it at the West Roxbury or the Jamaica Plain Campus VA. So I went through the class that I organized, and I was just like, well, we're all into it now. I was <laughs> going for broke. Either I'm going to like it or I'm not, but yeah. So in, in the last year, uh, have you seen it kind of facilitate that baseline zero? Do you, do you, do you recommend yeah. it? I, th I think it's easier, like, if you guys, you know, you're married, you have significant others, I'm just single with my service dog. Um, but if you have a lot of other people who observe you more than you can see yourself, they'll really start to see, and it's very, very small changes. Like, when I started doing the power breath meditation, I just noticed there was a little bit less road rage, or I wouldn't react as drastically sometimes on the road driving. You know, like, when some... I know. I I know, but you'll literally, for me, I started seeing little things like that. Then I also noticed I was not as rough or gruff with my commands with my service dog. Um, it was just a little bit better connection. And then I also noticed that if I had a really difficult decision coming up, I'd start meditating on it, you know, for like four to five days. And, you know, by the time you had to make that decision, you just had some resilience and confidence in your decision, if you get what I'm saying. Like, it just really helps. And then... There was a one, one of the um, people who took the course, the class that I did, was an employee that, you know, they had to pay for the course because it wasn't free. They weren't a veteran. But that employee said that even their fellow colleagues noticed a difference in the first five days just through the course. And they just, they couldn't put their finger on it, but they're like, just things are different with this person. And I, this really very, very subtle, small changes that all of a sudden, over time, pile up to be really, really beneficial for the person. So I know I know you asked me if I was able to attend the course. I'm just trying yeah. to get my schedule set. But for someone coming to the course, what can they expect? What what should they? How should their mind be before they come to the course? Or do you want people to come with like an open blank slate? Well, I, I would recommend you know like I did the first course and then I got selected to go to the reunion course. And when I went to the reunion course, I was just I'm so into this. It's working so amazing. And then my expectations were so high that it was an absolute like I thought it was a nightmare of an event for a weekend because I didn't think I was actually meditating that well or having a good time doing this. And then when I came back home for a week, I started noticing a lot of different changes and I'm like, okay, guess it was working. But I just try to tell people completely open-minded. The other thing that they really, really, they, they wish for um, is to people to try to lower their consumption of meat, more go with a vegetarian, try to do like a cleanse. But then the only other thing we tell people, no drinking and no drugs for that five-day period. Try to do your best to... You know what I'm saying? Like no recreational fun and no booze. Just try to take a five-day detox if you can gotcha. and then go through, you know, go through the program. Because I think once you have a little bit clearer thoughts and you're maybe eating a little bit healthier for that week, you do start to feel a little bit better. So th this just, again, you know, um, we had talked, you know, I've talked to people who do uh, equestrian therapy, uh, service right. dog therapy, um, Reiki that, that was yep. that was a good experience, and, and now this. But what, what I'm trying to ask here is there seems to be a real openness, not only from, from veterans like us, but also from the VA to be more open to exploring the benefits of these kinds of programs. 
So how is the is the VA? Do you think really you know in that groove, or are they still kind of just looking at this at a, at a higher level? I can only so I can speak a little bit to the higher level, and I can only speak to Boston. Sure. But I know as national policy, the VA is definitely taking a shift more towards more homeopathic remedies. Um, you know, they prefer them to be more studied and researched. That's why I think power breath meditation is grabbing a little bit stronger hold in certain VA districts. Um, just because there is, you know, University of Wisconsin has been doing a lot of studies on it. And when you start backing stuff up with numbers and statistics, people are like, okay. Now, Boston has been doing meditation, and it's, you know, it's not as intensive of a class. So when I organized the first class, um, the holistic nurse coordinator sent a couple of the people to the program. And then after that five days, they went back and talked to the holistic nurse coordinator and just told them the whole experience. And then just multiple stories kept coming in. So now the VA is like, I know for Boston, they want to do this at least once a quarter. That's the goal. And then they want to also branch out to like the first one I did was at JP. So this, the next one they're doing right now is at West rocks. You know, I'm sure they're probably going to try to organize one closer down to Brockton. To go and so like sort of they're 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 on the bandwagon because nationally everybody is getting into whole, holistic healing, but this one when you have as many veterans talking about it so highly that it, it's yeah it's starting to pick up some steam. Well, the one thing I like is you have things like Irreverent Warriors Boston, just a simple Facebook page where uh, veterans are now posting this kind of stuff, and it's like okay, there's no sales pitch, there's no hey you gotta you know pay your money or you know got to do that it's just hey it's out here it, it, it's, it's a resource come and use it and, and what i'm finding is veterans respond more and more to that than some big glitzy ad campaign with a 1-800 number and, and which is why i reached out to you the way i did and it has to be uh, rewarding on some level to see the interest increase uh, it is definitely rewarding, and it's also enticing because, like, I didn't know anything about Irreverent Warriors or, like, the page I told you, the Drinking Bros. Um, all of these very big, big military communities on Facebook that you have to be invited to. I didn't know that. So I found out about all this in the last October, like, literally four or five months ago. So now I'm starting to branch out, and I have been starting to see this. But what I've noticed as a trend, and this is what you did, is it's a plain advertisement. And the only other good thing is it says free. Either use it or you don't. And I think in like your situation, you have been entertaining other ideas of healing because you've already tried a bunch of other stuff and probably wasn't working the way that you wanted it to. And that's where I'm finding with these meditations, because especially, let's face it, military is not really into the mindful healing hippie side of themselves. It's just, it's just not the, the kind of people we can recruit into the military. So for a veteran to actually consider to just say, hey, let's try this out, then you know nine times out of ten, they're running out of options. Well, and they just are like, I need to find something better for me. You know, they have a strong family support network, their medications and everything are on track, and they seem stable, but a lot of veterans are always complaining there's like that 10% that's still gone. You know what I mean? Yeah, for me. And they're just um, like, how do you get that? I, I, I have, you know, my, my medicals around my knee, so it's more of a physical thing. Um, right. Where, where my in involvement and interest is, you've seen it up close, I've seen it up close where, 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 where guys and women, I'm not just saying it's only guys, you know, have been medicated to infinity. I mean, they've thrown every pill they can at them, and it's still not where they want to be. They're not enjoying the kind of life they want to enjoy, and 
something like this, like you said, it's, it's they're out of options. They're willing right. to try anything, and they do something like Reiki or acupuncture or this power breathing. Because I went on YouTube, like you said, and there are tons of testimonials about people, military, yeah. non-military, who right. but, said, you know, I, like I, I, I was told, going yeah. down. I was going down, and now <laughs> I'm going back up. And, and all I'm trying to do is sit there and tell a guy when he says, there's no hope, there's no, nobody cares about me. I'm like, no, you're totally, no, there, there is a way if you're willing to open your mind to it. And, and this is where I really appreciate the fact you're willing to talk about this because, as you know, a lot of us are trained to not, you know, I'm not hurt. I'm not, I'm okay. I'm not going to talk to you. I don't care. So right. I, I think that's the other side of the coin that I'm seeing more and more now. There's people like you and other people that I've met who are willing to tell you know, candidly about their experience. So it, it right. becomes a very powerful, authentic thing. And I think, yeah, I mean, it. the one thing that I, the power breath meditation helped me do, and this is, you know, like you were saying, the guy's fighting with this, so many meds and stuff. The power breath meditation helped me understand and define my definition of my new normal. You know, I can't go back because of what I did and what I saw and what happened in Iraq. You know, you can't go back. You can't forget that stuff. But what you can do is, okay, this is my new normal. And then I'm making this because this is my opinion. It's not what the doctors are telling me it has to be. I mean, obviously, listen to your doctors. But don't let people just pigeonhole you into a definition of something. And for me, power breath meditation helped me just to come into more of a comfortable zone with my decisions and what I had to deal with and more the moral injury that I dealt with. And then that's, I mean, that's how I try to explain it to people. It's a very personal experience. So it's difficult to try to explain how everybody will feel. Well, Say again? You can't, you can't do that because, like you said, it is personal, but you can at least sit there and say, hey, you know, I was at this yeah. state, I'm at this state now. Um, two questions uh, before we lighten up a yep. little bit. Uh, first one, what do you think is the biggest problem facing the military veterans in general? And then... I'd like you to follow up and then and kind of tell me what do you think is our biggest asset of success right now as an overall uh, U.S. military? I ask her. Uh, yeah, so the first one it was just like, okay, go back. What was the first question? The first question like, is, what's the biggest problem facing veterans in the military right now in this current climate? Stubbornness. Really? Yeah. In, in what way? Because, you know, I've been told I've been stubborn sometimes. I, I lost yeah. my, so, so that's yeah. interesting. People will lock onto something and they just won't let that damn horse die. <laughs> it's just like you're not gonna you know, just give it up. Or the I am too big of a man to ask for help. True. And, you know that's the number one thing that pisses me off because like I had a couple of friends they've created their own businesses. The VA, if you are a disabled veteran and you have your own business, they will partner you up with a peer mentor from a Fortune 500 company, free. I didn't know like, that. Right, yeah, but that's through Vogue Rehab. That's through all the different programs. And I try to tell people, I'm like, ask. Just, you know, I want to start my own business. What do I do? Just ask because there's so many programs out there for people. And I'm like, with a lot of these veterans, especially the, the ones that I've literally drugged to the VA since I've been here the last year in Boston, the only reason why they didn't go is they thought they would sit in a line for three hours to get an ID. Well, I mean, you're, you're kind of talking to one of those right now. <laughs> I was going to say, every vet I've taken there, they've had their ID card, and they had their medical appointments and everything in about 15 to 20 minutes. Okay, so in the interest of full disclosure, um, there's, a, there's a Marine I know in my Marine Corps League. Her name is uh, Michaela Brito. She's a yes. VSO out of Raynham, 
and uh, she'd had me on her radio program a couple weeks ago, and I got I got chewed out pretty good for not getting my whole situation revalued. It's been 18 years, and she wasn't too happy about that. And she asked me why, and it's the same reason you just said. It's like, oh, it's just too much hassle. Forget that. Yeah, it's not. It really is not. Okay. It's just... All right. The other thing, the other thing I want to try to say also to the part with the veterans is, I think they sort of go hand in hand. Is is stop listening to like the stereotypes and the rumors. Try to just if someone says that this is what's going to happen, just try to prove them wrong. But still go through the same process because I tell you right now, I think if more veterans just got out there and stopped listening to the rumor mill or their buddies and they just went to go, hey, does this benefit actually exist and do I qualify for it? You'll start to realize that there's so much out there for you and that a lot of the rumors is what's stopping people from just going to get simple health care for free or on a sliding scale. Gotcha. Yeah. Fair enough. So, I um, no, no, that, 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 that's good. It, it applies to yeah. me. Like I, I, I have a, a goal before the end of the month to try to get my uh, ask the VA to get um, the process going. Um, right. Well, I'll tell you one other thing. Like one of the veterans that I know right now is, you know, they're they have a letter from the doctor and they're dealing with a terminal disease. And I like I was telling them, and this is because of my fellowship. And obviously, you'll understand the VA does not put giant billboards up on the side of the road that says if your veterans dying, they get free, you know end-of-life care, plus they get free hospice for a year. You can understand why those billboards are not on the roads. True. But like I was telling this veteran, and I was talking with them, they didn't know this. And this this individual is already within, you know, like the final year. And I'm like, well, then please just reach out and get these free services. I mean, but, you know, that's just another thing about the VA that people don't know about because, let's face it, they're not going to put those billboards on the roads. <laughs> True enough. True enough. So yeah. what, you, what do you think is our, our biggest asset and advantage right now being uh, uh, in the military or, or, or veteran in the United States? I don't um, – I think to me personally, it's how you just view it. Like to me, being a veteran is a very positive thing. Yeah, you know, like this week I found out more bad news about my leg and my ankle, whatever, okay? Those are the bad times, but in general – I mean, I came from central Michigan, the Midwest. I thought they really, really were, like, obsessed with veterans. And then I moved to Boston and realized, whoa. You know, it's I don't know if it's just also a regional thing because it's Massachusetts, but there's a lot of advantages. There's tons of programs out there where people want to help you. I mean, it's even to, like, my service dog needs a surgery, can't afford it. There's groups here now in Boston that are helping veterans with service dogs. It's a good time to be a vet. (laughs) Like you, I, I grew up in the Midwest, and then we moved south. And uh, come to find out, you know, states that you would think would have this cornered, not necessarily. Right. And this state, as you know, gets uh, the bad rap for being, you know, way out there and left field and this and that. And some of it's well-earned. But I tell people the same thing. I said, you know, look at my state, look at your state. Per capita, this state walks its walk when it comes to veterans. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Ted Kennedy, does. for all his yep. faults, made sure vets were taken care of. Other, right. other supposedly far-left politicians understand that when their boys come home and girls, uh, they get taken care of. Exactly, yeah. You and I mean, that's... Texas, you're not going to get the same kind of care. It's not your right. town. And, you know, like I try to tell some of the other people, too. Like, I went to college at Norwich University, you know, Senior Military Academy in Vermont. So I'm a little brainwashed because I got to work with Bernie for six or seven years. <laughs> 
<laughs> but I'll tell you right now, the reason why I started looking so heavily into the VA is because of his work on the Senate, the Veterans Senate Hearing Committee. I mean, he's been the chair for 30 years. And it's like, yeah, like Senate Bill S-1982, they got passed in 2013, 2014 is what got us the new 26 hospitals, 16 or 26 CBOX, 16 hospitals. Like all the funding for this veteran choice program, that all came from their bill that he wrote, helped write. So it's like, I, you know, I've been a little brainwashed because I was in Vermont for a while. but I love Vermont. I really do. But yeah. that's the thing. It's really kind of funny that some of the states that – we're, the we're hardest liberal, <laughs> yeah, the hardest liberals out there. But I'm like, wait a minute, this guy is a, is a dyed in wool blue liberal, and he's up there arguing for more for uh, vets. Uh, Stephen Lynch is a, is a walks the walk. Right. It's just nice to see. So it, it, it's it's good in that way. It's a good time to be a veteran. And and, and really, the other thing that that brings it home for me is uh, I want to be able to tell people, look, there is help out there. And you're right. The, the, if you yeah. read some of the Instagram posts and there's no help for me, no one cares about me, I'm like, you can make one phone call and if you're in this part of the country, they're supposed to get back with you within 24 hours and it, it, they might not be able to you know, help you right then and there, but they can direct you to people that can. So it's just yeah. just very cool to see. They so will, definitely. When you're, um, what are you working on now in terms of, uh, are, are, you, are you still with the VA? What do you do? No, my uh, my fellowship ended in October, and I had a surgery in August, and then had some severe complications, and then um, ended up getting a new injury this past week, and now some of the injury on my leg is permanent. So I'm just like sort of reeling with that one, and then um, no, in about two to three weeks, hopefully starting back up here at one of the more private sector hospitals. I have some interviews coming up here, so. What I've decided, you know, I spent 10 years going to school to just work for the VA and then, you know, had to work through that process to now look more in the private sector because I've been constantly trying to get hired back into the VA, but it can take a long time some, in some positions. So I just was like, you know what, I'm going to start focusing all of my free time towards veteran groups, like doing this meditation, you know, irreverent warriors, drinking bros, you know, like all these different veteran groups here and then more work private sector. So I'm doing a big shift from what I thought I was going to be doing a year ago. <laughs> I think that's, you know, my answer to my question, uh, what's our biggest asset advantage is what you just said there. We can, we military guys can shift a lot, a lot, a lot of myself and a lot of people that I know have yeah. had to completely change careers, not just once or twice, but multiple times throughout our lives and still succeed. And I think that's something that, that, is unique to us in a lot of cases. You don't see a lot of our friends who grew up to be a farmer in the Midwest or here doing something, having to adapt so many times to different situations. I'm not saying right. we can't, but we've actually had to do it. Right, because I was going to say, I find with a lot of the military guys, if they had to move to a different part of the country, it's not half as devastating. No. It really isn't. It's not because, like, for me, I'd be like, oh, okay, whatever. Sucks, I'm going to lose some friends, find some new ones. But like you see the people who've never moved in their life and they have to move to like Boston to San Diego or something, they just they, they fall apart. <laughs> so let's lighten this up a little bit because I, I, I want to know if your experience is like mine. So I moved to Boston, right? Yep. And I'm like, wow. And I did it from Arizona and I'm like, I am not in the oh. kind of environment that I was <laughs> used to before. Um, right. The drivers. Uh, I'm like, wow, driving here is a full contact sport, man. It is. It's bad. 
it's really bad. And I've driven in Japan. I've driven in Thailand. I've driven in <laughs> Vietnam, <laughs> Australia. Like I've driven all over the world and screw Boston drivers. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like a red light is a damn red light, you fools. <laughs> and they're proud of it. They're they're proud. Of it. Oh, I know. I know. And then um, I, I move here, and if, if at the time the Red Sox were the, the talk of the town, right? And if you weren't yeah. Red Sox fans, I couldn't believe it. Some people didn't want anything to do with you. They just did not – they talked to you, but you weren't going to be in unless you um, agreed that Pedro and Omar at the time were the second coming of Christ. And right. Michigan – I mean, you got Michigan um, and Michigan State out there. That's, that's you know, storied, but – Nothing like it is here when it comes to baseball. No, and that's the thing because I don't watch professional sports in America. Um, I, my sports medicine degree is a certified athletic trainer, and it's just sort of like a career thing. But I don't like million dollar crybabies, so it's like I uh, don't even support. I won't even wear their hats, gloves. Won't even watch a shit. Nothing. So it's been a rough go in Boston. <laughs> When you're like, I really don't care about the Red Sox, and people just look at you. <laughs> yeah. And then they're like, what do you watch? And I'm like, I actually have you know a year subscription, and I watch NBC Sports for the uh, Olympic Channel. Yeah. I was like, I want to see athletes. Don't get me wrong. It's still big-time commercial, but they're there because they want to be. Right. They're not there because it's fun. <laughs> now, were you in part of Michigan that was kind of like Illinois for me, which is real flat, kind of farmland? Yeah. So yep. – I get asked all the time, what were the winters like out there versus here? I said, well, about the same. I said the temperatures were a little colder, but I said the wind right. the wind was really the the, the, the the king daddy out there. I don't, the wind out there was worse than it was here. So I said, you'd have roads drip shut overnight. You, you, yep, you'd wake all up, the time. Wake up in the morning to go do chores, and it's you know 25 degrees below zero with the wind chill. No problem. Uh, here it's it's extreme. I mean, we're either 90 degrees one day, and two days yeah. later we could be wearing sweatshirts in July. It's just um, a very different thing. I know, like where my parents are at in Michigan. You know, they had the really big cold snap, and it got way colder there. But um, they haven't gotten half as much snow as us this year. So, no. like um, I try, you know, the lakes protect people. Now, now, do you find people here still? Because I've been here a while, and it's kind of funny. I go back to home in Indiana or uh, Louisiana, and it's like you need to calm down. You're way too stressed out. I'm like I'm I'm, I'm pretty chill oh, actually right now. No, yeah, yeah, we we got it bad here, bro. We got it bad. I know exactly what you're saying because even when I was out in California for five years, I'd go visit my parents on like Christmas for a week, and I just look at them like you guys. I can't move any slower. Like you're just. <laughs> You're, you're so used to going at a speed that is like commercial and business and career go-getter speed. And that's like, that's Boston. I mean, you have to have that or else you're going to, you're never going to be able to afford an apartment here. Right. So it's like when you go back to States where, you know, they have a two bedroom, two bath for $500. You're like, I, I, now you can sort of justify and understand. Yep. Yep. I mean, um, studio here going for two grand. It's like, come on, that's four to 600 square feet. <laughs> Yeah, and I, and I don't understand how this part of the country is going to keep that up. Um, there's going to have to be uh, a time where they, they can't do that anymore. Yeah, I think that's what's happening. I mean, I live in Dorchester. It's a sort of an up-and-coming neighborhood, and I don't mind it, you know. But again, I'm not small, so you know, I'm not, I'm not a five foot two Asian, you know, immigrant 
like some people around here. So I don't know if maybe people don't mess with me. It's also my problem in my service dog. He's huge. So nobody, no. Picture of him, man. He's 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 a beast. Yeah, he's only like one fifty five, one sixty. You know, he's he's small. He, he's a cutie though. Um, <laughs> but I'm gonna try to just like I said, clear my schedule, make sure I can get down there. Um, right now, I can't promise I can come to all the days, and I, I don't want to pigeonhole you now. But I would, if I can't just come, talk talk with Chuck about that because he might be okay with. But one day, you know, it also depends upon what day. Sure. So, so yeah, Chuck. The other thing I, I didn't get to mention in this too, and you could do like your over notes before you start the show, but um, in 2012 and 2013, you know how like a lot of the news reporters in sports were always filming LeBron James? Right. He does this meditation. Like if they go into overtime, instead of going to the locker room, he'll do it for the 25 minutes instead yeah. of going out on the court. So it's like you can also research him too, but I was going to say there's – they use this form of meditation now with a lot of high-end athletes awesome. because it's all about like visualizing you succeeding and just positive, like just let it be. And yeah, so I think it's squeeze that in, but you'll, I know you can squeeze it in. Well, I know we try to meet up uh, to do this in person. And uh, of course the, the time we choose to do this, the, the tea completely shut down. Oh, yeah, no. That's it's, it's been shut down this whole weekend, bro. So I'm right. glad you called. Yeah. I think I've heard the first train go through like an hour ago today. So, and I live at the end of the line, so you should hear it coming in and going right back out. <laughs> so, well, I'm glad yeah. we got to talk, I, and I definitely like to meet up in person and uh, you know talk further. But I just again, uh, I just saw an ad on, on uh, not an ad, but a bulletin on, on, on a Facebook page. What? I thought that was pretty cool, and just um, want to say thanks for. Uh, give me your time to talk about this further and I hope somebody out there um, can make use of it. I'm going to have for my listeners, you'll have links to uh, what we talked about in the blog post, uh, the contact information, the location of the event. Um, it's going to be at the um, Jamaica Plain, right? Yes. Uh, no, this one's at West Rocks oh, in Barsamian. No, 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 it's West in Barsamian in the big auditorium. So as you were, it's uh, uh, yeah. West Roxbury and uh, I'll have all the information there. And uh, it's fourteen. I say it's fourteen hundred VFW Parkway, right. West Roxbury, Mass. So, folks, I'm with uh, Mr. John Bennett, uh, Navy uh, guy, world traveler, um, transplant like myself. And John, I just want to say thanks for your time, and uh, I'll meet you soon, brother. Yeah, definitely. Looking forward to meeting you. And that's a wrap, folks. <laughs>